Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. no one's demand but our own for a different schedule this week on the award-winning 615 sessions podcast from what is it overcast scenic less than sunny quarantine elizabeth park nashville tennessee buck rising back for another week of conversations hope you're well hope you didn't miss us too much normally it's tuesday thursday but uh the football schedule the thursday night game a battle for the AFC South, potentially the Titans securing their first division title since 2008. It's going to happen on Thursday, so we figure we switch it up. Wednesday, Friday is going to be the schedule for the pod. Ahead, we have former Colts coach, defensive mastermind, Rick Venturi. He is the Colts version of Coach Mack. He's the best in the business. He's an annual guest here on the 615 Sessions pod, and he's going to break down the matchup in great detail. We will also, at the end of the pod, have Jonathan Crompton and myself discuss it was immediate post-game reaction, so it's a little dated and things have not really changed other than Jeremy Pruitt speaking, but the Vols fell flat on their face on Saturday night after leading 13 to nothing. Crompton and I had post-game reaction. We're going to run a little bit back uh, from that for you so that you can experience the full fever, fervor, whatever you want to call it, in real time. Five good minutes on the end of the show about what the hell is happening with the Houston Texans. But in the meantime, I'm going to tell you about our friends at Two Rivers Ford, the best car buying experience in Middle Tennessee, hell, the entire state, nay, even the country at Two Rivers Ford. You can go through the entire car purchasing process online, if you so choose, at tworiversford.com. You can check out the Ford Bronco, the hybrid F-150, the electric Mustang, all things that will be soon available to you at Two Rivers Ford. Or you can go out to the dealership. It's just in Mount Juliet, just a few minutes east of Nashville International Airport, and you'll they'll hook you up the same way that they hook up me and all of their fine customers. Almost 40 years in the business for a reason, a name you know, a brand you trust, Two Rivers Ford. Powered by Ford, driven by people. Let's get to Coach Venturi. Hello. Hey, Coach Buck Rising. How are you? Yeah, Buck. How are you? I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing just fine. How about yourself? I'm um, real good. Real good. Love to hear. Uh, yeah, we had a tough one. Uh, tough one Sunday, but you know it just puts more more importance on this thing tomorrow. Man, I uh, I'm fascinated to see the way that this plays out. I, I honestly, Coach, I, I don't know what to think uh, between the two of them. Well, you know, and, and that's you know that's fair. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure I do either. Um, 
Uh, you know, I do know, I do know with experience um, of so many years that, you know, what what sometimes is a perception of a matchup is not really a matchup, and teams can actually look so much better against a certain type of team. Like, for instance, there are certain type of things that really affect the Colts negatively, but if you're not that kind of team, it'll never show up. You know what I'm saying? Right. So. And this is, uh, you know, this is this is a really good matchup because, you know, even though the records are really good, I mean, I'm I'm still not sure everybody knows how good the teams are, and they're, you know, and they both and both teams have tremendous strengths, and both teams have flaws, you know, really. Oh, I'm they're they're, they're six and two down here, uh, coach, but I I I still look at them a little bit a uh, little bit fraudulent. Uh, I don't know I don't know what to make. Oh of no no no, I I think that's right, and you know, and the Colts have. You know the Colts have played very well, and, and you know until they until they face a, you know really good competition, and particularly when they face really good competition on defense, and then then they don't look so good. You know it's uh, you know uh, that's that's kind of been the the Waterloo there, and of course I think Baltimore is really good. You know, and I mean yeah. if you you know I mean the only way that you beat Baltimore. Is you got to get a lead on them. You, you, you got to get to where your ball controlling it. They have to throw from the pocket because the rest of their team is pretty damn good. Most of it. And he just gives you such a nightmare tactically, you know, oh, you know, sure. really. And he, you know, we, we played probably as good in the first half against him as I've ever seen. I mean, they had 50 yards in the first half. And he he had like five, yeah. and we just and and we played good. But you know what? In the second half, he looked like the MVP. He really did. And it wasn't anything like it. I can't say. Well, the Colts should have had better rush lanes, or they should have done this, or they. And I, I I will do that if I see it. But I tell you what, they played extremely well, and he still got it. So yeah, it, it's going to be fun tomorrow night. You know, I I just don't know. I hope the Colts can rally really quick in three days because that. I, they their defense played their heart out. I mean, they're going to have to find that energy again. You know, that's as that's as physical a game between the two. And, and honestly, coach, if if you're cool, we're we're rolling on this. I'll we'll just go ahead and make this a part of the conversation if that's okay. Oh, I'm I'm fine with it. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, Rick Venturi, Colts uh, Colts radio analyst, is here with us on the six one five sessions podcast. That's why we love having Coach Venturi on every time the Titans and the Colts square off because it's all ball all the time. Uh, with this man, and we're grateful for his presence. I, Coach, we 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 were just talking about the the Colts and the Ravens last week or last Sunday, rather, uh, and and that's as physical a football game as I've as I've seen played this year. That defense continues to impress me that you guys have up in Indianapolis, uh, and I I I I really really wonder how Indianapolis is going to look on such a short turnaround. Yeah, and that's a really good, a really good question. Good observation and good question. Because uh, I have the same concerns. I thought, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, that uh, uh, you know, I thought the Colts probably played. Um, they probably played the Jackson, uh, the Jackson era Ravens in that first half about as well as I've ever seen him. You know, defensed and played because yeah. there's two different, two different deals. Uh, I thought they played great. I thought they played good in the second half. You know, the Ravens changed gears a little bit, went a little bit more of a passing game. He did execute well. 
And when he did break out for key runs, there's really not much you could do. I mean, you couldn't really be critical. He just played like the MVP, and our offense really shut down. I mean, offensively, the Colts really only mustered three points in the last 46 minutes. And so, really, it was a kind of a wasted great performance on defense, 14 points, 266, 110 yards rushing. You know, but at the end of the day, it has to be a full effort when you're playing kind of at a championship level. And I am concerned that, you know, the defense played uh, an emotional game. I mean, you're right. It was a meat grinder out there. It was bloody kind of. And, you know, I I just, you know, in three days, if they can really recapture, um, you know, that kind of energy, which it's going to take to stop a very, very good, you know, Tennessee offense, that will be a question. Uh, this this is the bizarro Titans Colts matchup. We we've got a Colts team that thrives <laughs> off their defense and a Titans team uh, that plays offense unlike any that I've seen in five years of covering them and really any any previously. This is as interesting a matchup if you want to call it that uh, as as we've seen these two teams play. And and recapturing the magic to your point. I mean, Den- Darius Leonard is such a star and he had such a such an impressive performance. On Sunday, if I have if I have any in any faith in somebody being able to replicate that, even as physical as that man plays, I I I refuse to doubt Darius Leonard in the middle of that defense. Well, I'll tell you what, and I've been you know I'm hard I'm hard on the players sometimes because I demand certain things, and I've been hard at Darius at times. Um, he's always been a great playmaker. Uh, there are times in his early career when I thought he could be more physical on the running game. But I'm going to tell you what, this season he has validated every bit of hype that has been said about him. And I thought last Sunday was the best game of his career. Now, he's had games where maybe an interception or a strip or something that turned the game around. Uh, he turned the game around in Detroit with a with a strip sack the week before. But I have never seen him play with the run intensity, the physicality up into the line. He he hit the line one time and spun one of their guards coming off his own block. I I, I guarantee you, I've never seen that. Mm. And uh, he is uh, he is having a great year. You're exactly right. And in a in a COVID area era, this 220, when there are no fans, where there's no energy basically in the stadium. I think the other thing that he brings, Buck, is he brings a energy and a juice to the defense that when he's not there, you just don't feel it. And you know, he has he has that ability. It drives me crazy sometimes. But I think in two twenty in 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 the COVID year, I, I think it really makes a difference. I one thousand percent agree. I think for for as bad as this Titans defense has been, and they are they are historically bad, at least when it comes to third down uh, to the third down conversions that they're allowing, even after you know holding down a uh, a just a putrid Bears offense. I know you guys have already played them this year, and and you know what the Nick Foles experience has looked like as well as any of us do. But Jeffrey Simmons, I think, represents for the Titans defense a similar kind of player, something that the rest of the team feeds off of. Desmond King, I think, will make a, a difference in yep. the acquisition and, and what their secondary is doing. We know we do not know at the time of the taping of this podcast, it's 11.08 Central Time, whether a Dory Jackson or Jadavion Clowney will be able to participate in Thursday night's 
uh, matchup. But uh, Jeffrey Simmons, the, you're, you're describing the same kind of effect that Leonard has on the Colts as I think that we've observed that Jeffrey Simmons, I mean, he's just a star in the middle of that front seven. Yeah, he really is. I, uh, you know, if when people listen to me around here, I, I term a guy like Simmons an ambient player. And uh, what I mean by that is he's a guy that keeps an offensive coordinator up at night. He has to take a sleeping pill uh, <laughs> when, he's, when he's watching the tape. And everybody around here, when I say ambient, they know what I mean. And uh, I think he is a guy that you very much have to take care of schematically and you have to you have to you kind of have to measure that you can make that bar for me you have to be a guy that schematically i have to make sure i take care of and i think he is there and and getting better every day i i think he really he really has it all i think if they can generate more pass rush on the outside and free him up get him a little bit more one in one-on-ones i think his numbers will be even better i i think if Clowney would come back and could play with some of the energy that we've seen him uh, in this division, uh, that would uh, that 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 could really help Simmons. I really believe that. I think Landry's doing a good job, but if they could get you know Clowney playing like he can, like I've seen him play, that would certainly open it up more inside. Right now, I think you could direct protection at Simmons and be pretty strong. I also really like Brown. I think Brown is one of the most underappreciated uh, linebackers in the league, and so I think they're pretty solid. You know, you had the safeties. You know, you had the safeties in there, all three of them. Uh, you know, Byard, and I know he hasn't had the numbers year, but he certainly has been in this division a big numbers guy. Um, you know, and you know, in Vaccaro and and Hooker. I mean, you're pretty tough down what i call down the cylinder right you know the 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 traditional problem and and it's it's never been totally complete is that the the titans have always struggled at the corner i mean you know we talked about this last year and i got a lot of blowback until the game you know and in 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 two areas uh, the edges on the run and the and the corner positions on the pass and those things have been kind of the achilles heel now I think Butler, who I didn't think played very well until this year, mm-hmm. I think he's had a really good year. I mean, he's matching the top guy. Uh, you know, he's got about 10 PBUs and two picks. I mean, he is really playing very well, much, much improved from a year ago. I think Desmond King will really help them in the slot. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he's already had an impact with the, uh, with the scoop and score, but he is a legitimate um, you know, slot corner. Um, you know, it's it's really kind of funny. Uh, you, you know, they cut a guy on the basically on the spot two weeks ago, and then they get Borders, who's been with like I think seven teams in three years, <laughs> and he actually played. He was actually representative. I mean, he he really was actually played pretty decently. But you know, I mean that that you know they're in. You know, I think that's been the issue over the years. Is really the corner position when the game really gets tight. So, you know, you know how they uh, how Desmond King helps them, and then if this borders borders can at least be representative, and 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 Butler continues to play, they got a chance to get better. Uh, listen, your your uh, your praise of Jayon Brown is not lost on this audience. This is a Jayon Brown appreciation podcast. Uh, ever since his rookie year, when he was kind of thrust into action, I have been 
hugely impressed. He's in a contract year, so it'll be interesting to see how he, that plays out. But uh, certainly the last the last couple of weeks, he's really started to pop off again uh, on the film, and you notice him making an impact on their defense. Let's look at the Colts from an offensive perspective, Coach, if you don't mind. Phillip sure. Rivers, he at this stage in his career – I, I almost look at him like a like an erratic version of Drew Brees. They're, the the arm strength is similar, but the highs and lows, the ebbs and flows of Phillip Rivers are so much more dramatic than any other quarterback I think I can think of off, off the top of my head that's currently starting right now. With with the, the struggles, the inability that they're having right now to run the ball, how much more pressure is being put on Phillip Rivers to try and elevate this offense? No, there, there's a ton of pressure on them, and, you, and you're hitting some of the, the high points and low points. Um, I think Phillips has made this team better. I, I think this this five and two, and then we lost last week. But the, they were, you know, a lot of lot of attention has been put on the two five and two stars. But I think Philip has made the five and two better and gives us a better chance. We couldn't throw the ball last year. We were fifth in the league or seventh in the league in rushing. But so what? You don't score any points, and you don't score any points, you know, that way. There are some exceptions, but, you know, you've got to have a guy behind the center that can throw it. I mean, as good as Henry is, if Tannehill didn't become the perfect quarterback for you guys, you'd be struggling too. And, you know, what Rivers has brought is, um, is is a decisiveness at quarterback, uh, he he brings a unique leadership. You hate him if he's not on your team. You like him on your team. I think we needed some of that kind of that almost challenging kind of kick butt type of leadership. He's very accurate when he's in rhythm. Now the problem and the analogy with Breeze is probably not terrible. Although I think Breeze has more structure around him to be good and to not have the failures, not have the real low sides. Uh, but there, I understand what you mean by the erratic quality. The the biggest problem that we've had is, to me, it starts, and people want to start it with the running game, and part of it is the running game. But part of it is losing Hilton. Hilton hasn't been the same for a long time, hoping to have him back for tomorrow night. But he's kind of disappeared in this quick-throwing offense. He was always a good deep player. Paris Campbell, who we had great hopes for, Looked absolutely tremendous in training camp as a play playmaker. Both of those guys have been rendered non-existent. And what has happened is, with no explosion on the outside, you know, there's nothing that challenges you on the outside. You know, the Colts basically play with you know 80 percent of the field. Right now, against average defenses, zone defenses, Philip has stayed in rhythm, and he's you know he sparse the ball around. He's Based it all over, you know. We've got a million guys catching balls, a lot of possession routes. But when we've got against the good teams that realize he doesn't push it outside, they will play you nine guys inside the numbers and two guys outside, and then that does affect the running game because you're running against much more loaded boxes. You know, Frank has gone back to some RPOs. Uh, run pass options with some open formations that have helped us a little bit. We've actually crept over 100 yards the last two weeks. It's kind of, you know, I think it's kind of an unknown because we started so bad. But, you know, teams have shut down the running game. 
you know, we've become almost, I think, stale in being a zone team exclusively, you know, and teams have kind of shut that down. So, you know, it's been kind of who we play. When Phillip is in rhythm, if you let him get in rhythm and you let some cracks over there on the other side, uh, he, he can tear you up still. You know, he, he he had a great game against Detroit, one of his best games. And then last last week, after being ahead 10-7, you know, just he was inaccurate last week. Guys were – it was not cohesive. It was just the opposite of the defense. It was like two two worlds, really. And so, you know, I think we have a better chance to win than we did a year ago, um, you know, with Phillips. But, you know, lack of explosiveness around him and – you know, certain certain games where he can't get set or the rhythm isn't there, there there's going to be erratic play. There's no question about it. Oh, well, there's a lot there to break down. I think the highlight of it, though, is you telling me my analogy wasn't terrible. That's probably the highlight of this podcast so far. But uh, what, your point there about, and I guarantee, even despite a lack of explosion on the outside for the Colts, the, the Titans will still find a way to give up a several third and 16s. It's just what they do. <laughs> Uh, coach, but with with the the opposition for the Titans on offense, your point about you know you can get as many rushing yards as you want, but so what? They don't score points. Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry is a is a I don't want to call him an anomaly because he obviously does score when you get him into get him into red zone positions. He can take it out of the wildcat. He can. He can break off the yep. long runs that he's so famous for, but they people here, or at least Titans fans, seem to hyper focus on Derrick Henry as being the greatest reason for their team's success. And I, I cannot, I don't know how it's possible for me to defend or to wave the flag for Ryan Tannehill any harder than I have yep. over the past, I guess at this point, eighteen games since he's been the starter, but. It, it goes almost underappreciated that this man, maybe not the past couple games because they've been playing they've been playing from behind. There's less play action as a result, and obviously Tannehill feeds a great deal off of that. But even still, these these plays that he's been able to make, like the 40 yard touchdown pass to AJ Brown, which was a great catch, but also just an absolute dime. I thought he was going to hit the Bears defender in the helmet. He has been doing this ever since he was inserted into the starting role. And I'm wondering, just from your general observations about Arthur Smith and this Titans offense, what they've been able to do. Yeah, I really credit Arthur and kind of the organization in, I think what I credit the Tennessee with was that, you know, and, and when we talked about it, they asked me in the summertime, I said, you know, the two teams that are going to fight to the end is going to be the Titans and going to be the Colts uh, because the Titans – are very well structured, uh, very well coached, and they really know who they are, and they don't try to be something else. And so there's no question that the fulcrum, you know, the 1,500-plus yards and 16 touchdowns and 19, you know, he's just a, he's a hair behind Cook now, but essentially he's the leading rusher the last two weeks, two years. You know, he's a little bit of an anomaly like Jackson is an anomaly. I mean, that those are two running games that probably carry teams further than teams that I can remember. You, you have to go back way, way back uh, in time uh, to see that happen. So, you know, to, to you know, if, you, if you're not if you're not set to stop Henry uh, over the course of 60 minutes, you know, then you know that that is Tennessee. But I think one of the most underappreciated guys in the league is Ryan Tannehill. I I have always liked him, even at Miami with nothing. 
Um, you know, he was a guy that almost beat the Colts with nothing when the Colts were, you know, a top team with Andrew Luck. Um, he has great accuracy, smart, a certain kind of leadership, great, you know, much better athleticism than people realize. And he understands his role, and he's a master of the play action. You talk about the throw to Brown, which I thought was great. I'm still remembering that throw to Raymond, you know, in the pivotal game last that's, year. That's that, as crazy a throw as I've seen. We, I've ever coach, seen. I was you remember in the press box in Baltimore and had to had to scrape my jaw off the floor. Oh, I mean, you know, what the I, throw, I mean, that's. I mean, who remembers that? But you and I. But I, I still that. You know that fractured us, took us out of any any contention, and you know really put them in. And I just think you know Tannehill is. It was really funny in the off season. You know everybody's talking about Brady and uh, Rivers had a natural fit here because he had played for Reich in San Diego. So I always felt from day one that Rivers was going to end up here um, on a short term deal. But I had said the best free agent. And if you want to, if you want to play this year and then keep playing for several years, uh, was Tannehill. I made no bones about it. Uh, I thought he was the best young. And you know, you're, but you know, but I got all kinds of pushback when I said it. I mean, honestly, people were like, oh, no, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But I, I don't think that Tennessee could have made the runs that they've made just with the running game. I think he's been the perfect. And I'm not going to say – I'll say compliment only because we're talking in, in, in context of the running game because he is not a game manager. He's not a uh, – that, 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 uh, th- that would be a distortion to try to refer to him that way. That would, that would be way too uncomplimentary. And I think the one thing that's helped them a little bit now is they've always – they're a little bit like the Colts. They've lacked the – let's face it, lacked the explosiveness at receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have a lot of speed. Uh, but I think that Brown is starting to really become a playmaker. I think he plays faster than his four or five. He is very good, uh, you know, with the ball in his hand. You know, he proved to be a good 50-50 guy. His 14.7, you know, per catch has really given them kind of a third dimension. I also like Janu. I, I think he's a very good, you know, I think he's – so. So they they gradually built some weapons. I mean, their numbers offensively. I mean, you know, turnover differential. They're first in the league in a plus ten. Uh, Tannehill has always been right around, always in the top ten or right there. I mean, they're number six rushing. Uh, you know, number seven in points per game, twenty nine. Red zone number two. I mean, those are phenomenal numbers. The the Achilles heel for the Titans. Is is the defensive part of it? I mean, if you know, and they and I think they did play better, and I think they've helped themselves last week. But that is the that is the Achilles heel. Let's face it. Let's not be you know. Let, let's not be crazy. And that I mean, to me, the AFC South. When people ask me why would the, why do the Colts are why are they competitive? And I said because the Colts as a team are the one team in the AFC South that can play defense. Everybody else in the AFC South. Is really a bottom third defender, and uh, you know, so I, you know, that's going to be the key. You know, can can the Titans kind of take last week, which was a better week, and they made some personnel shifts, and you know, and see if they can can improve that. 
you know, and can the Colts come back after a great performance and and get right here with the AFC, you know, AFC South lead on the line here? I mean, I don't know about the Titans down the road. I know we have them twice and you know, twice in a week and a half, but you know, the Colts have in their remaining eight games, uh, Buck, they have seven AFC teams, but they have five, all five. They, you know, unfortunately they blew one in Jacksonville in the opener, right? but they have five AFC South games left to play. Yeah. So, you know, they totally control their destiny one way or another. Uh, I'm telling you, Coach Rick Venturi, is, it's always such a joy to have you on, not just because this is the easiest show that I do all year, because I just sit back, I tee you up, and you make the people smarter, you make me smarter, and I'm grateful, but also because I've been listening to you, Coach, since I was a student at Indiana, uh, listening on the 1070 app or, or on my radio in Bloomington, and uh, and it's always it's just such a great joy to be able to catch up with you. Uh, a couple times a year. Thank you so much for the time, uh, and uh, and I'm really looking forward to see what happens on Thursday. Me too, Buck. Always look forward to talking to you. Okay, thank you. It will be. We don't know. We, it's really funny. In 2020, nobody knows anything. Oh, all, <laughs> we, all, all, all we know week. is that you, you don't know anything. That's all we know. It's, it's just you constant just, reminders just, every time I turn around, Coach, that I literally know nothing about what's going to happen next. I, I text Matt Taylor once a game, once a, once a day. He's become he's become a great young friend of mine. I, I text him every day. Do we have a game? What time is it? And are we really going to play it? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I think I think Halloween weekend just completely canceled the. The SEC down here, so I did. Oh, I know. It's not out of the realm of possibility. I know, I know. Oh, Lord have mercy. Welcome into the Big Orange Post Game Reaction Show here on the Agency Sports Streaming Network. Goodness. Uh, what a disaster down there in Arkansas. The final score, 24, the Razorbacks, 13, the Vols. Jonathan Crompton, Buck Rising in this evening to fill in as you guys pile in very, very quickly to react to a catastrophe, an utter, uh, an utter football debauchery down there in Arkansas tonight. We're going to take your reactions. We're going to talk about Jeremy Pruitt. Jared Garantano, Harrison Bailey, Brian Maurer, and everything that was. Crop, I before I tell the people to share the show, how you feeling, buddy? How we doing? How we doing? Uh, <laughs> you know what? Screw it. Hey, watch this. Let's just talk about who, which quarterback's arms had the better tattoos. I got tattoos, so that's at this point that's more interesting than the damn game. I mean, this game. Let's, just, let's just call it like it is. Let's find something fun to talk about because this was not fun. No, I mean this was just bad. This in you, all you the ways. I, I don't know if you were wiping away just out of tiredness or a I tear just, from your eye. I don't know what that honestly, was. Honestly, at this point, I I mean I know that you know what. At least we can say how we feel. Man, I could have been at home laying in my comfortable bed and and just hanging out with my wife and our dogs and felt much better than watching this game. Yeah. That's yeah. just how bad this was. And yeah. all around every aspect. Yeah. Um, it was an absolute so- embarrassment. There is a ton of people in here. While you guys are piling in on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, Twitch TV. 
Uh, welcome into the live post-game reaction show, the Big Orange uh, post-game reaction show. I don't know if Jonathan Crofton, former Vols QB, has bourbon in that coffee, but God no, knows I'm, he's going to need something by the honestly, end. Honestly, it is, it, is, it is a pumpkin, uh, it's a pumpkin-flavored coffee, and I'm, normally I would put a little cream in this one to give it a, the, and, you know, intensify the flavor. It's straight black right now. I... I'm drinking coffee at 10.42 p.m. Eastern time to talk about how bad this was tonight. As bitter, that, that say something. as bitter as the Vols defeat. All right, let's get right to it, Crump. Uh, one word to describe the Vols loss at Arkansas <sighs> after everything we saw. Jarek Garantano gets bounced in the third quarter with a head injury. Brian Maurer comes in the game. Everybody's freaking out because they think it's a Pruitt decision just to pull Jarek Garantano. Yeah. 24 unanswered points. The Vols had scoreless. I leave it at your feet. Atrocious. <laughs> I got nothing else. Like, I, I don't know. Um, I was sitting here trying to think of words. I was asking my wife, what is one, like, word that, because she knows me better than anybody, of what I would, and what I would think of. And, I mean, that atrocious. It was, we played well in the first half. I mean, I wouldn't say it was phenomenal but we, we execute our game plan i don't know what the hell we didn't say half. i don't know what any of that was um i'm gonna just read this comment real quick because it came in a few minutes ago and said this question is for for Crompton. if you see a corner play eight yards off the ball why wouldn't we run quick slants when the middle field's wide open well, that's a good question because everybody does it to us everybody but i text you we stopped a slant route I text text Austin, we stopped a slant route. Instantly, I had to send that back to Austin and say, I take that back. (laughs) Like, as I clicked send, I literally instantly wrote, I take it back. I mean, because then there was three three more slant routes on that drive, one for a touchdown. That's how we started the second half. And it, it just, just all around, just bad. And it devolved from there. They did exactly what we talked about at halftime. They figured out. That all the all the entire offense was handing the ball off to Eric Gray after Garantano got removed from the game. Mauer could do nothing through the air. Looked absolutely helpless well, well, in a way that makes me feel bad on that real fast. And, and, and I want to touch on that because I feel bad because he, he as soon as I got the plane, he found out that his grandfather passed. So this would just pour salt on the freaking wound for the kid. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I'm not even going to talk about anything for him because. It takes it. I mean, everybody's mental state is different. You know, I know everybody always says, oh, Brett Favre did this when his father passed. That's that's Brett Favre. Not every human being is the same. So and we don't know his relationship with his grandfather. And we know all this stuff that he has came out publicly and said this offseason of his own mental state. Yeah. So for me, if if it's me and I'm and I'm the coach, when I find that out, I'm going to go to him and say, hey, man, this is bigger than football. Do you want to dress tonight? Screw the game. Do you want to dress because you're the number two? There's a chance that you have to play. Are you okay to play? Because I don't want to screw anything up with your mental state in your life because you are a young man. So I feel completely awful for him even having to step on the field tonight, understanding, and God, God willing, I have never understood that feeling of what he just had to go through. Um, so – I mean, prayers go out to him because, I mean, that, that's tough. And then getting thrown right into the fire of coming in when we're down and can't stop anybody on defense and couldn't move the ball on offense. So I feel like he was just 
unfortunately put in a really bad, bad position right out, right out of the gate. Oh, and, and it just snowballed from there in a way that was completely and utterly, it, it, it almost felt unavoidable. Second and eight, says Chad Angel. Uh, the Vols, Charlie Ark just says in dismay. But great win for your Hoosiers, says Jeff Rubel, man. Uh, there is nothing. <laughs> there is hope. Who'd have thought? Tennessee, a basketball school, and the Indiana Hoosiers, a football school. You know what? Year of our well, I'm, done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Philip Clinic says this team is a freaking disaster. Fire them all. We'll talk about the coaching staff because normally you guys on this postgame show, you grade the performance of JG. Tonight, JG got bounced in the third quarter with a head injury. So instead, we're going to later on in this show grade Jeremy Pruitt and the performance of this coaching staff because I'm sure a lot of people have strong opinions on it. Meantime, we're taking your one word to describe the Vols' loss at Arkansas. Crompton says it's atrocious. Just freaking horrible, says Michael Hughes. Dumpster fire. You guys are cheating. You're using one, one word, but it's okay. You're probably distressed. I hey, you, it's, it's 2020, man. We're good. <laughs> Michael Hughes, embarrassed. Matthew Chapel, ass whooping. I watch the team TR bros. I watch Oregon football for entertainment now. I mean, the list rolls on and on and on. So, w- without getting too much into the coaching element of it, because I want to save that for a later segment, I guess my my one word, Crompton. If yours is atrocious, mine is inept. I mean, it it. does not seem like anything that they are capable of doing or they do not seem capable of doing anything to to stop to stop the leak once once things start to compile on them. When we have seen we have seen Jeremy Pruitt over the course of his tenure as the Tennessee Volunteers head coach, be able to do some things, be able to coach guys up, be able to stabilize the program or the team or the players a little bit. As things kind of spiraled out of the control, out of control, like they did last year at the start of the season, and then you kind of feel better about the way that they're able to build upon those failings. But ineptitude is what I witnessed from this team here this evening. But and again, it is mm-hmm. not. I I always I always feel very very strongly about this. I'm not going to come out and just bury college athletes. I think that's a wrong approach. Mm-hmm for anybody in this business, and it would not be me. But the people who are responsible for getting these people ready to play, the people who are supposed to put them in the positions to execute, to be, to not look like they did, which is completely flailing in the second half of that football game, inept is the word that I would use, Crompton. What say you? No, I mean, I I think you hit the nail on the head, and especially right there at the uh, the last – these are college kids. Everybody can argue about, oh, they're this and they're that and blah, blah, blah. I had a job when I was this age, all this stuff. Kudos. And I say that in all sincerity. But when you're dealing with, and most of the times, not fully mature, because you, everybody's different. Young men, keyword young. Yeah. You, it, it's Football is a game of testosterone-fueled men going head-to-head. All right. There's I know I said in the first half, there's it's a game of copycat where you can steal this from this team and kind of put your own wrinkle, blah, blah, blah. We're not doing any of that. None. Everybody does it. Literally, if when you're game planning for somebody and such and such worked against them, you bring it into your offense. And, you know, if you think it can work and you put a wrinkle on it, I haven't seen any of this. Our coaching staff 
I know you will talk about this here in just a little bit. I've said it for, I don't know how many weeks in a row now. We apparently just don't know how to develop at a lot of positions. And even if, if we just want to take the development side out of it, that's fine. We apparently don't know how to fire these guys up. I know you got to have some intestinal fortitude about you. You got to have some, you know, what you can call it a lot of things, internal fire or whatever. You still got to have that, but you also got to have a coach that can bring that out in you. Yes. And what I see and when I keep watching when our quarterbacks come off the sideline, even with the mask, you can tell facial expressions. It's almost like Winky is looking like a deer in headlights when they're coming off the field about what to say to these quarterbacks. You know what I mean? If you're a coach and you have a loss at words, like I'm losing my words right now going, what the hell do I say? In that sense, because that's not a good thing. Oh, the no, coach should know what to say because you're on the sideline or you're in the press box. You've got to be able to help these kids. That's why you're a coach. That's why you're getting paid hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to coach these kids, develop them. We're obviously not doing that. Oh, and you want to, I mean, you, what, you, what you're, what they're paid to do. This is one of the most, this is one of the highest just, paid staffs in college yeah. football, much less the and, SEC. It is, exactly. it is, it's not, it's ineptitude. It's, it's, it's atrocious. It's helplessness to a degree where yeah. you are, where we are in these positions. And and we talked about the, the things that Brian Maurer has had to go through this evening. And of course, I mean, it is a very, very difficult position and it's amplified because he did not play obviously very well that that is unavoidable at a certain point but without burying the kid for everything that he's had to gone through a good coaching staff would recognize that a player may be emotionally compromised maybe that the situation is bad enough or the situation is serious enough that it is time to show the freshman quarterback some live game reps he's seen live game reps obviously it's at throughout different points in this season so far but to put Harrison Bailey in in the spot that he did, we'll talk about that more. I don't want I don't want to blow everything that we have to discuss, even though it's we're emotional. Everybody's emotional oh, right now. We we can talk about that for an hour. <laughs> Just let's call it like it is. There's not enough time in the world. We're going to continue to take your one word to describe the loss at Arkansas here on uh, the A to Z Sports Big Orange uh, post game show. Jonathan Crompton, Buck Rising filling in. This evening, first, quickly, I'm going to tell you about our friends at BioPure Music City. That's where you go to keep your flu, uh, to keep your crew protected from the flu with BioPure Music City. To have BioPure disinfect your home or business, call 615-635-0555. They're EPA registered to kill the coronavirus and the flu. There will be zero residue left behind with the quick electrostatic spray that they utilize, safe for your electronics and your pets. Check them out at biopure.com. Uh, Excuse me, biopure, the uh, standard, changing the standard of clean. I, I'm sure there are some standards that need to be changed in Knoxville at this point, Crompton. Let's read a few comments from the people. Anything stand out that you've read? <laughs> I've been reading a few of them. I mean, but the thing is, I'm laughing by saying none of these are off base at all. No. Um, I mean, you know, it's funny. I mean, you know, I, I get a kick out of this one. Does anyone have Hugh Freeze's phone number? You know, <laughs> hey, you know what? It's only a matter of time before that started. It's something, I mean, you know, it, it's, 
it's hard to just pick any of them out. They're all they're all pretty much the same in the sense of everybody's in agreement now, and I'm not gonna. You know, screw it. For hey, me personally, I'm going to actually say this for the first time live and say, man, hey, we need a whole new staff. We need something. We got to have some sort of change. We, we're going to change, and it's going to be the D line. Yeah. When we can't put up points, we can't develop anybody on offense. We got these explosive players, blah, blah, blah. We can't do anything with it. At a certain point, it is a game of production. What have you done for me lately? Obviously, not a lot. Nothing. Um, and so my, my thing is who, who, Buck, if it's you, who do you bring in? You know, I know this is hypothetical, but at some point, this has got to be a real life conversation that somebody's got to be having. You gave him an extension. Great. And now this is a crap load of money and $400,000, but it's only in college sports, only $400,000. You know well, what I mean? the th- but the thing that I would say to you, Crompton, is this year complicates that so much with the way that COVID is going to affect the financials of these athletic departments, not just from the standpoint that you're not going to be willing to eat those salaries that you've committed uh, your, your, uh, your financials to. Not only that, but other schools, I think, are going to be reticent to fire their coaches who they might otherwise part ways with in a normal year. This is what makes this so much harder. It's that it, it, it does COVID-19 and the direct impact that it will have that it has had on college football. And, and I mean, fine, fine. I mean, we're talking about the NFL getting ready to lose billions of dollars at the end of the season just because they can't let full attendance into the stadiums. College football and specifically the position that the balls are in with the with because the, I, I mean, I, I did not understand it when they gave Jeremy Pruitt the extension. I know that this is something that, that they're not worth the paper that they're drawn up on, but this is a different situation. This is a completely different time. So what, what And I want to clarify before we move on to talk about Jeremy Pruitt, because, I mean, we're going to have to grade him next, yeah. coming up next. And by the way, weigh in with your grades for this coaching staff on Facebook Live, YouTube, Periscope, Twitch. We welcome your comments here on the Big Orange post-game reaction show with Jonathan Crompton, Buck Rising, filling in this week for Austin Stanley. Does it start at the top for you? Are you saying that Jeremy Pruitt is a part of these wholesale changes that you're that you're mentioning? You asking me? Yes. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And I say it that way because this is no different than a Fortune 500 company. It starts at the top. You can't just go in and blame the cleaning crew. You know what I mean? If you if you're trying to build something, and I know that's it's an unfortunate thing, but it's harsh reality when you're dealing with especially this much money. You know what? If you if you at the end of the day, I'm seeing these comments about because COVID is obviously I'm not using the word excuse because it's reality, but at the end of the day, it's a reality that every team is having to deal with. But guess what? Then don't give somebody an extension during COVID. Right. Right. You know I mean? And like I said, I, me and Austin talked about it. We knew what it was about. It was all for recruiting. But you know what? Don't put yourself in that situation then. Wait until after COVID and then say, just tell them, hey, we're going to come to an extension between us, uh, you know, the university in Eurasia. We've got this done. We're going to wait till after COVID and we'll be back pay your money or something. We'll give you an extra year or something. But don't do it during this time if, if, this, was, if this was a possibility as an outcome. Well, this obviously is reality now. So in the sense of 
we got to get something and you know it's a fine line when you're dealing with tennessee in the sense of a very it's just like a michigan you know or an alabama it's such a storied rich tradition that you want somebody that has something to do with the program in the past right because of the tradition well in today's times this is where there's that fine line to walk what do you do do you try to bring somebody that has some sort of history with the program and bring in those types of people or do you just say screw it we're going to start anew and bring in a new generation like a lot of these other places do and just say we're going to start our our own tradition now rely on the past but have a complete fresh start with nobody over my shoulder saying well this is what we used to do this is what we used to do so i don't know what the right answer is on that because it's a fine line but i'm by by all means i, I start at the top we got to do something. I mean, I was one of my dad's best friends is a sports writer and he's a big Michigan guy. We're talking about Michigan today. Yeah. In my opinion, man, Harbaugh's got to go. Victory. Victory. No, exactly. Hey, no, in my opinion, your, your guys just solidified a Harbaugh's fate. Is yeah. Are they going to do it? I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, Sarkeesian, I'm going after. Lincoln Riley, what do you want, bud? How much do you want? Come on. Yeah. I guarantee you, you give him enough, he will leave Oklahoma. You know what I mean? Because he knows in Oklahoma, yeah, he's going to win in the Big 12. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. But at the end of the day, he knows he's not going to be able to get the defensive guys in there to win in the playoffs. He knows what their ceiling is. He, he exactly. knows what their ceiling so, is. So you, you give him enough money at a Michigan or a Tennessee or an Alabama, man, he's gone yeah. in a heartbeat. He doesn't want to go to the NFL. He's a college guy. So – so what point do we start saying we want to go get those guys? Sarkeesian even came out last week and said, man, I can't wait to be head coach again. And he's turning down jobs already. The the, the rehabilitation of Steve Sarkeesian is, is something that I find interesting, but so, the point is well taken. I mean, that, that's just, that's my person. That's an opinion. I know not everybody's going to agree with it, but you know what? That's the beauty of it. We're all entitled to our own opinion. I think tonight with the big fat F that is given, that, that's just where I would go. And I'm not saying necessarily tonight, but I, I mean, I, if, you know, if I'm in the meetings, we all know what happens all behind closed doors and so-and-so is going to send out a filler here and so-and-so is going to send out a filler there. I'm starting to send out, hey, let's start sending send out some fillers, see if somebody's willing to leave. And I, I never thought I would even say these words, but, and I would hope that this person wouldn't do it, but somebody like an Urban Meyer, yeah. I don't like I don't think he would fit in in Tennessee and I personally wouldn't I wouldn't like it because of his past. I think he's very uncredible. I think he's a horrible human being personally. That's a personal opinion. I wouldn't want him there, but by God he wins ball games. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? But somebody with that type of energy and can get people to play well, we got to be something. And that's an opinion, but I I, I'm, I, I think that I think it starts at the top down, and I think we should start having that real conversation. Safe to say both of our grades here on the Big Orange postgame reaction show are Fs for Jeremy Pruitt, Fs for failure, Fs for flailing, Fs for potentially fired because Crompton, at this point, they have lost four straight. They host number. They host Texas A&M, go to Auburn, and Auburn seems to be a little flaky. But I, what is Tennessee? They're, they're 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 flaky, but they're better than us right now. Let's right. just call it like it is. Hey, hey you know what? Uh, and I'm not a big fan of defensive head coach, but I'm going to hit this comment real quick from Eric. Maybe a hey Brett Venables. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Somebody like that. I'm not a big defensive guy head coach. Well, what the hell do we have now? But that's just an opinion. But still, we got to do something. Kyle Adams says, why would anyone to come anyone, any coach want to come here? And you you've said your piece about the the history, the tradition. We we've spent a lot of time, you've spent a lot of time on these post-game yeah. shows talking about what Tennessee football represents. But to Kyle's point, I mean, it nothing they seem to do over the last, at least in my five years living in Tennessee and watching this football cro- program, my history with it is much less than yours and many of the people listening to this, watching this, because they have grown up with it. They have, they have gone with their families to games. Season tickets get passed down generationally. It is ingrained in a lot of who people are. But to Kyle Adams' point, if I'm an outsider and I don't have these attachments, and if it's – I mean, the money is one thing, right? Tennessee ha- can bankroll yeah. the holy hell out of you and whatever coaching staff that you want to bring here as they've just as – they, as they've just proven, proven with an incompetent coaching staff, it would seem. So you have the opportunity to do what you want financially, COVID notwithstanding. But to Kyle's point, if I'm looking at this as an at, as, as from an outside perspective, I'm saying, man, I don't know if I want that job. I don't know if and, I want to go and flail around in the SEC. I don't know if I want the expectations that are immediately going to be heaped on me at the University of Tennessee. Now, I'm not a college coach. I'm not a, I'm not a college athlete. I do not, you know, I, we operate on a different plane. But what yeah. I'll say to you is I don't think Kyle's completely out of, out of, out of whack there because this, this is I amazing. Either. No, I, I don't either. But to, to the point now going and defending Tennessee is unlimited resources top-of-the-line facilities, right? To, to exactly what you just said, generation to generation to generation, season tickets passed down. The fan base of the camaraderie there. But the thing is, we that's where I said it's a, you have to teeter that line. It's a fine line. We have people still involved that have, have been involved in the past, and there's we're all human. Can't help it. I used to do things this way. You know, I, I we used to do it this way. We're human. That's just what you do. Yeah. You can't help it. So oh, if, I, if, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm that guy, oh, exactly. So if I'm that guy and you're calling me, I want a white house from top to bottom. Nobody can be involved in the program historically. We're going to start fresh and we're going to build a new Tennessee, keeping our tradition where it's at. The game maxims will never change all that stuff. But that's the only way you're going to entice somebody of a Lincoln Riley to come. You know what I mean? Or a Sarkeesian to come and not have somebody in your ear at all times saying, well, hey, look here, do this, do this, do this. Let them do it on their own and understand the fan base can get behind them in a heartbeat. Right. Deb M. Burton says it's not any one player's fault. It's coming from the top. That's very much what we're discussing, Deb. Uh, Eric says we're in the verge of Vanderbilt-type expectations. Hell, if Derek Mason, the only I, actually the only way I think Derek Mason saves his job is if he can beat Jeremy Pruitt, which by the way, it may, it's probably That's not still, off the table now. I, I mean, it's it, the Vanderbilt's so bad. Right. Right, but you better understand though, when we play Vanderbilt, you play down, and the and the expectations of where we're at now, and four losses in a row, and A and M and Auburn coming up, man, it's not off the table now. And I I I hate to say that I ever thought I would say it, especially this year. I mean, we've. It's went down a lot. I mean, just in the past, not even month. 
with the expectations. Vanderbilt's not off the table anymore, and that's sad. Yeah. William Burnett out here trolling us, saying higher Gruden, like you guys want that in your lives again. We'll we'll talk about we'll talk a little. Actually, we said, listen, I don't think anybody would go through the Chucky Chase anymore. But we have to uh, we have to now um, move on to what seems like it might be a little bit of a farce at this point, Crom. Uh, but uh, it is it is what you guys do here on the post uh, post game show. The Ashbusters, who was on fire today for the Vols versus Arkansas. Give us one person. It could be positive or it could be negative. I think it's gonna be it's gonna trend negative, but we'll take your responses <laughs> here in the comments on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, Twitch. File on in there. Who was on fire today for the Vols, blowing a 13-0 lead at halftime and falling to the Arkansas Razorbacks 24 to 13. All right, Crompton, I, I leave it at your feet. Who was on fire today for the Vols? Well, I'm going to read one thing first, and this is sad when, when this is a comment. Yeah. And this is not my pick, the long snapper. No. <laughs> that's not my pick, but when that when that's a comment, we know we got an issue. Um, you know, I, I think I've said enough of the just blatant honesty and the quote-unquote negative side, I would say. I'm going to go on the positive side. I've got I've got two guys, one on each side of the ball. Obviously, Eric Gray. I mean, the 31 attempts, 123 and a touchdown. I like what he can do. We just got to get some guys around him on offense. I mean, I, I really like him a lot as a running back, and he's only being a sophomore. And this year, not counting, that's a plus side for us down the road. Got to get a lot of different guys around him as far as talent um, to help him out. But I like what he's done. And then, obviously, I think it's a weekend week out. Henry Toe on defense is always around the ball. And we didn't touch – I didn't touch on this in the first half. But early in the game, Arkansas runs um, a little shovel, right? They designed this thing absolutely beautifully. The center – was not athletic enough to get to Toto. Thank God, or he might still be running. Yeah. Those are the plays that he makes for us. Yeah. He he's he's a hell of an athlete and a hell of a player. And I love watching him play defense. We we need 10 more of those guys on defense in the sense of his intensity. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I wanted to take that this time and go a little positive for us because we do have some players to build around. We just aren't building around them and or building them. You know what I mean? For those guys to elevate their game, we got to have guys in there that can develop their game from the top down. I'm not saying every coach can't do that because I'm not in their meetings. Uh, We've obviously seen what a couple of these coaches can do when they're on other staffs. So at at the end of the day, certain point, all, all lines point to one gentleman. You know what I mean? Right. So, I had to say all that to say that, but I had to go with the positivity with those two guys. No, I mean, and you want to recognize the guys who did perform well, even yeah. for as bad as things looked, right? Because yeah. there are, it's not, it's not what, it's not the responsibility of one player to carry a team. And that's what Henry Toho Toho seems to do too often for that ball's defense. Deb says Bennett and Toho Toho, uh, and Eric Gray being mentioned, Henry T. B. Hall says is my only hope. Uh, someone has to be on the hot seat, says Chris. Uh, listen, we we we're trying to keep. We agree. We're trying to we're trying to keep the faith here for the fam here on the post game show. But I'll tell you what, 
Uh, I I think there is a there is so much there is so much to be taken from this game from this season, twisted and and deformed and all of these other things that COVID has done to it. Because this is, of course, not a normal college football season under any circumstance. But yeah. at some point, Crompton, uh, we will see accountability on the on the on the behalf of this uh, on the behalf of this Tennessee coaching staff before we'll we put to. a bow on these things. Because it, it's whether it be accountability on the on the person who hired him in Phil Fulmer, or if there is going to be accountability on the people who are responsible and, for the development and growth of this program, Jeremy. Well, and that, that, that's, a, that's a great question or a great comment you just brought up. And I know that I'll get a, I'll catch a lot of heat for this, but, hey, at the end of the day, facts are facts. Yeah. When you just hit the nail on the head, and when I was saying the top down, I was kind of insinuating. I didn't want to just blatantly say it, but you're 100% right. The gentleman that hired this guy, at a certain point, what, what do we do? I'm not saying hey, – I'm not the one making these calls. I know what I would do, but I'm not the one writing the checks. No. You know what I mean? Because at a certain point, we've got to rebuild. Every year we keep saying, oh, well, we're young. It was always the Butch Jones there. Oh, we're young. But how many years can you be freaking young, right? There's always an excuse. And it's, oh, well, now it's, you know, on, with former hiring Pruitt, oh, we believe in him, blah, blah, blah. And then it's, oh, we've got these guys, or we're still trying to get these guys in. You know what? At a certain point, and I heard it on TV tonight. You don't want to play a young quarterback because you you don't want to put him in there too early and all that stuff. Well, if I if I pull up this right here, Clemson's at OT with a true freshman quarterback. I know at Notre Dame at Notre, at Notre Dame. Now, obviously, they've got a different caliber team than us, but you're not going to win that argument about a true freshman quarterback with me saying, "Well, we shouldn't play him." I know that if he's not mentally there, that's one thing. But don't say I'm not playing him because I want to protect his confidence. Well, that tells me that you either haven't developed him yet, you haven't got enough chance to see him because you won't practice him, or he's just not there. You got to say one of the three. You, oh, you just have to to me. And, I, and so it's, there's always an excuse from the top down in this in this program right now. We got to we got to do something. Otherwise, we're going to keep having these shows week in week out, and we're just always going to have to bicker because we're not getting any better. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll end it this way here on the Big Orange uh, post-game reaction show. Jonathan Crompton, kind enough to hang out with me late into the evening uh, to watch what was, uh, I don't even know what to describe it other than embarrassing loss for the Tennessee Vols. What I will say to you, Crompton, is this. What I saw from Jeremy Pruitt and what I continue to hear from Jeremy Pruitt's mouth as it regards Harrison Bailey um, is it's coaching scared. It's coaching It's coaching from a place of, of lacking confidence. It's coaching from a place... Okay of lack of preparedness and at some point um you know we we, we continue to see it show show through in games like tonight uh and, but that's all i got for you tonight buddy i got nothing else well, you drank enough well, coffee i don't want to put you through it anymore <laughs> oh no we're good enough. my coffee's kicked in if you can't tell um but here's here's all i'm gonna say real quick is about coaching scared and all this stuff okay you put them in at the end well let's just and for all the people that have hung out for all 34 minutes and who are going to watch this, I wish I would have said this earlier. What a stupid, stupid, stupid mistake of not kicking a field goal to make it a one-score one game, and then you're on the five-yard line with an actual chance to tie the game. Oh, my God. That's, we didn't even talk about that series with Harrison Bailey. I feel no, like that's, that's just, a massive misstep on my part. Well, no, that's oh just 
God. That's also, that's also this kicking in and just kind of going all over the place. But the thing is, well, let's call it like it is. The kid's young. He's, yeah, he's got a hell of an arm. And if I hear Jordan Rogers say one more time about a kid's arm strength, I'm, I'm going to throw some of the TV because that is the most overrated attribute as a quarterback. You got to know where, where to throw the ball and when to throw the ball and why you're throwing it, not just say I can throw it hard. So what I saw as a, a young quarterback in the game, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing because at least he was making smart decisions. But when you're down and you're trying to prove that you need to play, why are you checking it down to the running back without taking a second hitch? Every one, time. two, three, running back. One, two, three, run. Now we move down the field, but all I'm getting at is we, if you watch it from the, uh, a wide view, schematically, there were guys open. You have to, in the SEC, you've got to make tight window throws. You have to. And if you don't, then obviously you're not going to succeed. But what that tells me is the lack of preparation on not necessarily just him because he's on the third string guy, all this stuff. I don't know if that's how he's thinking, but it kind of looked that way tonight. And the fact that the coaches aren't developing their guys to understand what we're thinking schematically. Just straight up, he had a guy on a freaking the left hash right down the seam in the end zone, and he's looking to the right, not blaming him. Just saying, if we're running four verticals and you've got a, a single high set, your coach should teach you to go away from the safety. Safety went right, you throw left. Very simple. Didn't happen tonight. Those things, and that's where it all you know it all comes back together. We're not developing anybody. Right. I mean, it's glaring and obvious, just as this loss was for how much further, it seems, perpetually, the Tennessee Volunteers as a program have to go. Crop, you've been great. I hope we haven't jacked you up for your for your sake and your wife's sake for the rest of the evening. Right, more, gonna... more so her sake than mine. I, <laughs> I know you got a bunch of dogs at home. Maybe they burn off some energy for you. Uh, but go. it's been fun to hang out, buddy. I, we don't get to do it often enough, and I don't know how much, how often I'll be filling in here for Austin Stanley. But, you know, I wish the uh, the the result, at least if not the result, the game could have been a little better played for us to yeah. discuss. All right. An incredible conversation with Coach Venturi and a very impassioned Jonathan Crompton who suffered through that Vols game with me on Saturday night. We hope you enjoy. And it is time for five good minutes on something that many Titans fans who listen to this podcast will enjoy, which is more suffering from the Houston Texans, more stupidity from the Houston Texans, the subject of five good minutes this morning. Before we do that, a quick word about the fine folks who present our phone line around here. That is the people at Tame the Beast. GetBeast.com is where you go and you save 20% off on all of their great grooming and personal care products using the promo code BEAST2020. I'm looking right now on my desk and I've got the Tame the Beast shaving cream that I've just used. Sandalwood, black pepper, green tea, and vitamin B. I don't know about you, but I have super sensitive skin when it comes to the shaving of my neck. Many of you like to make fun of me because you think I look like Andrew Luck, but the thing that separates me and the aforementioned Colts quarterback who owned your asses is that I keep my neck beard under control. I am much better groomed than our dear friend, Mr. Luck. What I would say to you is I am very well groomed because of the great products that I use, courtesy of our friends at GetBeast.com. Use the promo code BEAST2020, save yourself some cash, and I promise you, it's good stuff, it's good for your skin, it is eco-friendly as well, most importantly, now that we're all using an, an incredible amount of plastic 
uh, with all of the single use, single packaged. Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to digress into a recycling tangent. Regardless, getbeast.com promo code beast2020. Groom boldly, be a beast. Smell better for God's sakes. At tame the beast. All right. Five good minutes on the Houston Texans. So what's happened today, as of Wednesday, Wednesday morning about 10.20 a.m. as we're recording this podcast, the Houston Texans fired their uh, their director of PR for the team. Now, in any other situation, nobody would care about this, right? Nobody would, uh, and it's, not, it's nothing against her, and I don't want to mispronounce her name, uh, her last name, and I don't want to do her the disservice of mispronouncing her last name. But she, her, her first name is Amy, I believe it's Pulsich, uh, is how it's pronounced. Regardless, they fired their PR director today. Now, from a, an on-the-field football perspective, this matters not, right? This matters precious little to any competitiveness between the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans, which is what, of course, you care about. But it speaks to a larger thing, that there is a massive outpouring on social media for this PR director. Now, you guys don't care how self-involved media gets, and they have been self-involved about the firing of this individual. It's not just, though, local Houston media. It's people like Peter King, Adam Schefter, our friend Diana Russini, Field Yates, people whose names you know, whose work you respect, and who cannot do their jobs well, or really at all, without the help of the PR directors from these various organizations. Titans PR, I, I consider to be, now listen, I've only worked with one PR staff, uh, but I very much appreciate everything that they do. They make this podcast possible. They're, they're are the, they are the reasons that the players appear on the 615 Sessions podcast. And it's not just that life will be harder without a good PR director. It's that the reason for the firing is that the Houston Texans are saying this woman, who is beloved by all apparently in media, even Paul Kaharski, I saw Paul get out there with an outpouring of his own, The reason that they have fired her is that she is not a cultural fit, according to the Houston Texans and the sources with which Adam Schefter is citing. The culture in Houston is toxic. They have been a terribly, terribly run organization since the the passing of Bob McNair, one of the original uh, NFL owners, or at least one of the family's original family members of the founders of the Houston Texans. They have been a dumpster fire. They have been a complete and utter disaster. And by every account, by anybody you talk to, not only in the media, but within that organization, they will tell you that this particular PR director was very much beloved, very much loved by the players, by the coaches. She made everything in a place that can often be disastrous with Bill O'Brien as the head coach. And now with this crazy Jack Easterby running the entire operation, She kept things as smooth as humanly possible, which is an incredibly stressful job. And now I sit here looking at this, and this Patriots preacher turned uh, turned football executive who's now running the Houston Texans, Jack Easterby, who started as the team chaplain for the Pats. And I'm saying here here is the biggest and best example of how poorly run NFL teams can be. This man... Jack Easterby, who appears to look like a vampire and has, by all accounts, done things wrong from every angle of it, even if you think firing Bill Bill O'Brien was the right thing to do. Jack Easterby, not only was he not a coach 
or a football personnel person with New England. He was simply the team's chaplain and has a love for football. That's fine. It's all well and good, and I'm not here to criticize anybody from a faith perspective. But this man is the greatest example of somebody who would stand within two feet of Bill Belichick and get a job because this is how the NFL works. They think because you stand next to somebody who has a tremendous amount of success, you yourself understand what is the the genesis of that success. You yourself will be able to have that success. Mike Vrabel is is an example of somebody who has come from the Patriots by way of the Steelers and then at the end of of his career at the Kansas City Chiefs. It's not just exclusive to Belichick. But what the Houston Texans did, they hired this this team chaplain to come run the show. And now he's making all kinds of crazy decisions and citing lack of culture fit when the root of the issue is him himself and the culture that he has created that these good people are not a fit for. And so now I look at this and it's, it's crazy. It may sound crazy for me to make a leap from a team PR director to Deshaun Watson but this is, this is just another example of, a th- of something that you don't see behind the scenes that affects a team from an organizational, uh, an organizational perspective. Deshaun Watson needs to get the hell out of Houston. I don't care how long he signed for this offseason. These people that are running this team don't know what they're doing, are poisonous by any account of the people that you would talk to, and it's all because this man, this, this deranged-looking uh, football preacher who now runs that organization stood within two feet of Bill Belichick, and people assume that that means he's competent in his job. We have seen countless examples. Matt Patricia, Romeo Cronell has been a great defensive coordinator in the league for a long time, but as a head coach, not terribly competent. Countless examples. Bill O'Brien, I mean, for God's sakes, the list goes on and on and on of all the people who have got a chance just because they came from the Patriots. And instead, this man, Jack Easterby, who fired Bill O'Brien after letting Bill O'Brien do whatever the hell he wanted with the roster and with the salary cap, even worse, is going to do this thing that has held, helped to help hold this franchise together even at, at its worst points. The firing of a PR director doesn't necessarily mean that the Titans will be able to sweep the Houston Texans in this year's series between the two as they try to pursue their first AFC South title since 2008. But it speaks to a larger issue that's going on in that building, and I've never felt worse for Deshaun Watson than I do right now. Not just because his team stinks, not just because he's getting the hell knocked out of him because he plays behind a bad offensive line outside of Laramie Tunsil, but because this team is going to waste the career of an incredibly talented quarterback, and by all accounts, an incredibly decent human being. Mike Vrabel talks about him all the time. Whenever I mean, obviously not all the time, but when we when, when they play the Texans, this is the biggest. This is one of the biggest things that Mike talks about: the character of Deshaun Watson. But there's only so much that character will be able to stay your frustration, to help you keep patience. And the time, for, as far as I'm concerned, for Deshaun Watson. It's now. David Mugaletta is one of the best agents in the industry at this particular point. I don't know how he gets him out of there, but somebody needs to. God bless. Here on A to Z Sports, 615 Sessions. I almost said primetime, but you know, I get confused every once in a while. That's the show. Shouts to Rick Venturi. Shouts to Jonathan Crompton. Shouts to you guys who subscribe, rate, and review to the 615 Sessions in the A to Z Sports podcast feed. Hit me with them five-star ratings. We greatly appreciate you contributing to the growth and the success of this show. For Friday's podcast, obviously if you want to wait 
until the Colts and Titans have played to submit your mailbag questions in my Instagram DMs at Buck Rising, R-E-I-S-I-N-G is how you spell my last name. I understand. No great rush. You have two days to get it done. Submit your mailbag questions, though, via my Instagram DMs for the Music City Mailbag that will be a part of the Friday podcast. A different schedule this week, but good content and uh, a lot of fun because they, they you're coming off a win. You play on a short week against probably your most hated division rival and the love of my life, Philip Rivers, who I am dying to get on this podcast, but the Colts will never, ever let me have. These are my issues, not yours. Although, you know, it would be good content. So perhaps start tweeting at the Colts. Tell them to give me this godforsaken quarterback so we can talk about the faces that he makes that I use to prop up my career on the internet. In the meantime, I need you to stay safe, stay clean, and as always, Nashville, stay hot. This has been the award-winning 615 Sessions podcast, powered by Two Rivers Ford and brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Mm-hmm.